Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. There's something wrong. There's something wrong. It's not leaving cert weather. That is absolutely not leaving cert weather. Although I think I know what happened. I think I know what happened. Did I hear in the news at nine o'clock the Taoiseach promising leaving cert weather? Did the Taoiseach actually say, I'll check with the newsroom, but did the Taoiseach actually say in the nine o'clock news that the weather should improve because the leaving cert weather start? Did Michal Martin just put the blasted government kibosh on an improvement in the weather? We shall only know in the fullness of time. I'm having a mess, lads. Good morning to you. Uh, to everybody who is presently on their way or just being dropped off or wandering slowly and nervously towards an exam centre or to the parents who just left them off and are walking away thinking, will they be all right? The very best of luck to one and all. This is a leaving cert like no other. We didn't have one last year. We had the accredited grades and we all know what that led to. We all know where that took us. But this year, they're sitting an exam. It's an exam like no other. They're spread out like never before. Part nothing else, it'll be impossible to cog. But over the next couple of weeks, it'll be more demanding of them than any three weeks of their lives before. And uh, let us give them our 100% support. And let us not bother with post-mortems. Let us not bother with what might or might not. Let us not worry them with anything unnecessary over the next couple of weeks. Just support them and back them up. And be their pal. Be their parent. Be their friend. Be their auntie. Be their uncle. Be their cousin. But be their pal. And whatever they need over the next couple of weeks, make sure they have it. Because these are the most important three weeks. They shouldn't be. Of course we know they shouldn't be. But they are the most important three weeks of their lives and the best of luck to one and all in Leaving Cert 2021. Good morning, 1850 715 996. Yesterday during the programme, 
there was a story breaking and we didn't quite know where it was going. We had trouble getting into the Irish Times website here ourselves. Then we discovered that the BBC was gone down, the Guardian was gone down, CNN was gone down, the Financial Times was gone kaput, the governments in the UK, the government site, that was gone. Now, we weren't looking up Swedish Social Security, but it too was down. Major websites the world over just went bang between about 10 and midday yesterday. Spotify was affected. Amazon was affected. I went to look into my Spotify at lunchtime and it took forever to load up what I was looking for. It was just across the board. Uh, What on earth was it all about? Uh, Let us find out by going to the University College Cork School of Computer Science and talk with Professor Barry O'Sullivan. Good morning, Barry. Morning, PJ. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. In simple terms, for those of us who need it explained to us, what happened? Uh, A good old-fashioned computer bug um, brought down um, an aspect of the internet that we, uh, I suppose, you and I never get to see on a daily basis. um, what's called the uh, the Fastly Content Delivery Network. So Fastly is a company, basically. And what they do is they um, they help uh, deliver websites to your smart device and to your computer much more quickly than otherwise would be possible. So basically what they do is, um, you know, you mentioned Spotify and the Financial Times. So they're all sitting on um, their, their websites, sitting on some computer somewhere in the world. But of course, everybody in the world wants to access them. And so what Fastly does is um, it effectively makes copies of those websites closer to the user. So when the user goes and tries to connect to Spotify, it's that bit faster. It's a and distribution so, house, in other words. Exactly, like a like you know, it's like a you know the, the digital equivalent of warehousing, you know. But the um, and what happened yesterday was um, some bug that was undetected in the system for quite some time. Um, when one of their clients just made a perfectly legitimate change to um, to the, how their own system works, the whole thing came down. Um, and in fairness, the fact, like this isn't the first time this kind of thing has happened. You know, it happened last summer as well with an, another similar company called Cloudflare. Uh, mm. But um, I suppose the first thing everybody, you know, the first thing many people were thinking of is is this another hack? Um, yes. But you know, it's not. It's just um, you know uh, a little bug that was triggered by. A completely normal thing. Now, in fairness to the Fastly people, um, they detected it quickly, they fixed it quickly, and it's one of these things that you kind of sit back, you make a cup of tea, and you know, wait for normal service to resume. They, they were, they did, Barry. In fairness, live up to their name because everything was working again by three oh, o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think they had it fixed within the hour, but because, but because of the way this sort of distribution network works, think of it as the, as, a, as sort of these warehouses, you know, they're called proxy servers, I suppose, really, in, the, in technical terms. Um, like, obviously, once that whole system is broken because of what happened yesterday morning, it just takes time to sort mm. of get back to back to normal. And so, you know, by early afternoon, things were back to normal again. And Because yeah. um, what, um, norm- what I actually went looking for in Spotify wouldn't load for me when I was looking for it. And yeah. then an hour later, it loaded straight away. Yeah. yeah, because, you know, like, you know, the main server, let's say, you know, someone literally plugs in Spotify.com somewhere, right? So, mm. the, uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an actual plug somewhere that plugs in the computer that has Spotify.com on it. Um, and what Fastly and these kinds of companies do 
is um, because, you know, you and I want to use it in Cork and it's based, say, in California. Right. And it just make, it just brings it that bit closer to us. Yeah. Um, but, of course, when the thing breaks, all of that disappears. Yeah. I think um, what, what was worrying people yesterday, and certainly as it was developing here, we were looking at major sites like BBC, CNN, yeah. FT, the, the government site in the UK. The minute it hit that, we thought, which I suppose was a natural thought for the uninitiated, yeah. another hack. Yeah, like it, it's um, it's difficult to um, to know immediately what the cause of these things are. So, like there is a kind of cyber attack that would result in that exact same um, kind of response. It's called a denial of service yeah. attack. And basically, what they do in a denial of service is that um, hackers basically, you know, make millions or billions of requests to the website just so they just slow it down. And to the point where it might fall over and you know crash or whatever. So um, you know sometimes these things look like a cyber attack, yeah. but in this case um, it's not. You know it's a, it's a it's a good old fashioned computer bug. Um, like the, the internet is a, like, like we think of the internet as this thing that sort of floats around our heads in the, in the clouds, and people use that language. You know, yeah. it's in the cloud, um, but it's actually a very physical thing. You know, it's it's made up of plugs and wires, and mm. it's engineered and it breaks like the toaster does. You know, so um, it's. Um, it's obviously yeah. incredibly uh, sophisticated, but you know, a, a computer programmer at some point just you know wrote put in a semicolon where it might have needed to be a plus, yeah. and that's uh, resulted in yesterday, which you know. Because a cloud, and if you've ever had taken a walk out, I'm sure you have with, with, um, with Bob out at EMC, where yeah. they used to build the hardware for clouds. Like a cloud can be a thing the size of a port cabin. Okay, so, yeah, like you know, it's it, you know, cloud is basically just a, a, a network of computers around yeah. the world, and um, I suppose you just don't know where your information is. And so, again, taking the Spotify example or the Financial Times example. Like you think you're communicating directly with the Financial Times or with yes. uh, Spotify, but on these content delivery networks, that's not the case. You're you're dele- you're uh, content, uh, you're, um, you're, you're dealing with the warehouse with a copy of it. You know? gotcha, so, gotcha, um, gotcha. And the whole thing just sort of fell apart yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> thankfully, they built up. Barry, just coming back to the, the HSE thing, which thankfully this oh, wasn't yeah. another one. I mean, we are still weak. We're weeks into this, and and things they tell us. They're making progress. But should we be this long trying to get stuff back? Uh, yes. Um, in fact, um, when this broke uh, originally, um, you know, I, I think I was uh, uh, saying that um, in a couple of interviews at the time that this thing could literally take months. Like if you look in, Scot- in Scotland, just before Christmas time, the Scottish EPA were attacked in exactly the same way. They didn't pay the, the ransom. Um uh, they decided to rebuild, and it took them uh, almost four months to rebuild their systems. You know, um, like this is a, like, could you imagine? Like, there's a whole bunch of things going on, right? So, first of all, um, all of these machines are compromised. Um, all the computers are compromised. They can't just turn them back on and you know um, restore from that thing that they got from the hackers, because of course that could be damaged. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the sheer number of these computers, they have to make sure every single one of them is clean, and yeah. um, in some cases, buy new ones. And rebuild it. It takes a huge amount of time. So, so if you uh, take a, a simple thing like, well, a simple thing, take take somewhere like uh, HSE offices, we'll say out in the farm centre. Mm. You literally have to go through every laptop, every desktop, everything. Yep, absolutely. Everything one by has one to be checked. One by one, wow. and in some cases, phones. Um, like even at, at the moment, I've, I work with some colleagues in the HSE. They they don't have their email back. Um, 
So you know, all of that kind of stuff is uh, it's um, is down. It's a it's a massive thing. And mm-hmm. like the other, the and other is it because to- do it in the wrong order, and you could be back at square one again? Well, if if um, they were to you know restore from a backup tape or something, and, and the the uh, soft the the malware the uh, the software was on that, and they put it back onto the system. Yeah, they're back. They're back at square one. Oh, um, so they have to be very, very careful. Um, it's like it's unlikely that they'll be reintroducing it. You know, it, they'll get this up and running, and um, it'll be fine. It'll be better. You know, the what they will rebuild will be a much better and much safer system, a much more robust system. Mm-hmm. But it, it will take a lot of time. Um, yeah. It's an, it's probably uh, the worst thing you could possibly ever have to deal with. Mm. Um, it also demands of us, doesn't it, that going forward we pay, pay a lot more attention to our security. Oh, yeah, and, like, the interesting thing is that here, like, the ransom will be far less than the cost of it, but there's a there's a principle at stake that, that they don't wish to pay the uh, the ransom, and that's that's a decision that's, um, that they take. Obviously, in the U.S., there was that... Um, there was a pipeline incident with exactly the same kind of attack, um, and that ransom was paid. And interestingly, yesterday or the day before, um, it turns out that the um, the authorities in the U.S. actually found the ransom money um, in Bitcoin. And I think that's interesting because usually, how these ransom are pa- ransoms are paid is using a cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. um, a currency that doesn't really exist, but basically a set of numbers that have some value. Um, and because of that, because it's anonymous, you don't know where the money goes, you don't know where it's held. So for law enforcement to find that is really, really difficult. Yeah. But law enforcement in the US this week had a great win in finding the $4 million that was paid out in, um, in ransom, which was amazing. Yeah. Just lastly, you mentioned cryptocurrency and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a bit of a craze at the yeah. moment. Like I, I have my 50 quid worth of crypto and I watch it going <laughs> up and down every day and I'm not going to lose anything more than 50 quid, which is fine. But some people are pouring a lot of money into it. For the lay person who's playing around with crypto, are there traps you could fall into? Well, um, well, first of all, you should never put in any anything into... Like, sure, these things are worth a punt, like you just said, right? So, um, like Bitcoin and so on. No harm in spending your 20 euros or your 50 euros if you're happy to lose that 20 euros or 50 euros. That's, 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 that's one thing, right? So um, um, what you never want to get involved in is any form of leverage transactions. There are these things that are, there are these products that are leveraged whereby um, you can find yourself liable for, um, for, the, for losses. So you don't want to get into any of that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're just buying a straight hold Bitcoin, it's like buying a ticket in the lotto. Um, mm. It goes up and down like crazy. Um, you know, I think in time, we w- you know, the w- there will be greater uses for these things. Yeah. Um, I-, I think the, the, the sort of cryptocurrency, these sort of digital coins, um, their heyday, in my view, was a few years ago. Lots of companies were selling these coins as a way of almost buying shares in a startup yes. or something. Um, and the problem with them is that they're quite often not regulated. Um, so if someone does something bad with your currency, yes. you can't ring up the central bank and say, "Well, you know, um, uh, hacker one hundred and three isn't honouring the isn't honouring the transaction gotcha. I just paid for." You know, so, gotcha. um, so just, but you know, for for fifty euros, PJ, if you're happy to lose it, uh, you know, run the risk. You could, um, you know, you could be a very wealthy man at some point. You know, all right, knows. all right, Barry. <laughs> listen, thank you very much, uh, Professor Barry O'Sullivan from the School of Computer Sciences at UCC. Lots of people playing around with crypto at the moment. There's somebody I follow on Twitter. 
I follow them because of my interest in snooker or a joint interest in snooker. And she's been investing in crypto in the last couple of weeks. And she's made an absolute bomb in the space of about two weeks. But she's thinking, right, where's it all going to go if it crashes tomorrow? I put 50 quid into something about a month ago and it's still worth about 50 quid. Up and down and up and down. And up and still for, still worth about 50 quid, but it's it's fun to watch. 1850-715-996. Listen, speaking about computers and speaking about the leave insert and the fact that we're starting the leave insert today and it's a leave insert night and night. There are many people who have got to the very very, very top of their profession without ever going to college, without ever finishing education. Like, Steve Jobs didn't finish his education. And we know what Apple is today. Bill Gates didn't finish his education, his formal education. And we know what he's achieved today. There's probably loads of people around who didn't finish their formal education. And look at them now. So do you have someone that you really admire that didn't do particularly well in school. Someone else comes to mind, a major political figure, Albert Reynolds. Do you remember Albert Reynolds, uh, our former Taoiseach? Um, he was, uh, he was a, he was a, a, a pet food salesman at one point. Do you know? Um, so, it, people who didn't actually finish their formal education and went on to make it. Is there anybody that you can remember that you really look up to? Oh, wait, three, three, ninety-six, ninety-six, ninety-six. There's a row brewing between the GA and some local residents. Says you, isn't there always, Pete? Ah, yeah, but this one's interesting. Next. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. <laughs> All the stars on one show. This is Dua Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oh, hey, this is Shane Khan. Hey, this is Anne-Marie. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This is Joe Corey. I go by the name of The Weeknd. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8. With Lucy's Nissan Charleville. Put a smile on your face with the all-new Duke. The Coupe Crossover. LucyMotors.com. Cork's 96FM. Something on the on the computer bugs just before I let you go. Fergal, um, I move on. Fergal uh, says that the actual term, the computer bug, like there's a real explanation for everything. It actually comes literally from dead bugs, like dead flies and dead insects that would get caught in the valves of old computers and short out the electrics. That's where he's correct, says Jerry, who's under the table in a most worrying fashion at the other side of the room. But it's all right, fine. 1850-715-996. Something that uh, we're going to come to shortly as well is the simple fact that we have to talk about Delta. There was news uh, emerged there in the last 24 hours that we have now had 61 cases of Delta. That is the Indian virus Mark II, the one that John Campbell told us about a few weeks ago. That We've had 61 cases of that in Cork. We don't know where, we don't know when, but we know that so far we've had 61 cases of the Delta variant in Cork. So we need to talk about that and we will in a while. But first of all, the Residents Association is objecting to the development of a car park next to Parky Cueve. And it is suggesting, shall we say, suggesting that it could make life difficult for the GAA if that car park should go ahead. 
they are the Ballantemple Area Residents Association, known as BARA, and they have to be consulted about major events like concerts at the park. Now, the GA wants to turn a section of the marina park into parking for cars and buses. It's public land. They need the go-ahead from the City Hall to do that. And Barra are not happy. I have been speaking with uh, Colm O'Leary, who is their co-chair. Colm, I'll begin by, by asking you to, for the benefit of people who really wouldn't know the geography of the local area, what I understand here is that the GAA wants to put a car park on land which is currently a green space next to their existing 4G pitch or trading pitch there by Parque Cueve. And where is the problem with that? Hi, PJ, thanks. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. Um, Parque Cueve want to further develop car parking facilities at Parque Cueve to the east and west of the 4G pitch um, that is in place at the moment, I suppose. Our problem with local um, residents is that that area is highly used. It was before uh, the vaccination centre came up anyway as a local amenity for kids. Uh, we know there's very little open spaces here. We have a lot of linears, you know, along the Atlantic Pond, the marina, but an open place for kids to play soccer, football, stuff like that, tag. And it was uh, in use every day. Uh, by multiple families, um, always different people showing up, great atmosphere down there, and we don't want to lose that local immunity. Now, there's a wonderful park currently being developed. I, I drive past it frequently. It's going to be remarkable when it's done. So won't there be play areas in there for kids? There will. There'll be additional play areas in there, absolutely, but there's over a 1,000 units being developed at the Marquis site um, in the next couple of years, probably the next five years. There's going to be huge... Uh, requirement for more open spaces and we put forward the case that you know we need more spaces rather than less we need open spaces uh, rather than you know linears that does provide a couple of spaces uh, for people but I think we need them you know we need multiple spaces dotted around the marina park for everyone to enjoy it Um, as per the marina park development plan which was approved by the council and all executives multiple years ago this is a part of that multiple open spaces for people to enjoy. Now, you say in a press release that you don't have a problem with the development of the stadium, that all new facilities are to be welcomed and all events to be welcomed. But the car park, does it cross a line for you? It does cross a line for us, really. Um, We feel there's no need for us. We feel there's an overcapacity of parking, actually, at the moment. I'm down around this area uh, one or two times every day. I've never seen uh, both car parks full, and I'm referring to this Cork City car park open last year, 250 spaces. There's a 40 or 50 spaces on the east side of Parky Cueve. Uh, I've never seen them all full. Uh, there's also a locked Parky Cueve car park that has 180 spaces in it, which remains um, locked and used for the GA purposes solely. So I don't see where, the, where there's additional parking spaces required. In fact, I think we've uh, a, a, a poor utilisation of capacity rather than a requirement for more capacity. Mind you, any time there has been a major event at the stadium, like a, a sellout match or a major concert, there's been yep. a need to shuttle people in because there isn't actually enough parking around the stadium for when it's full. Well, actually, you're not allowed to park around the stadium when you're full as part of the traffic management plan and fire officer concerns. So really, none of the parking is meant to be used for people coming to events. 
Um, and that's part of the fire officer's opinion, and uh, certainly not mine. But you can't cater for 40,000 people uh, parking at a stadium. That's just not going to work. So are you saying to me that this car park that the GAA wants to develop on what is council land at the moment, just there by the Atlantic Pond for another geographical reference for people, that yeah. that's not a car park they'd be able to use when they have a busy event at the stadium? No, they can't use it, and that's uh, in their planning conditions for, uh, or there was a fire officer's report saying that area cannot be used categorically uh, for any large-scale events because it is an evacuation route from the stadium. So it won't be used for any large-scale events as a car park, period. Uh, What it will be used for, I'm not really too sure. Uh, but it certainly will cause, uh, you know, it is a danger if it's put in place. It'll be peop- there will be uh, cars passing pedestrian access on the on the current linear going through there, traversing in both directions, mm. and as well on east and west side of that 4G pitch. Now, there is a museum planned, an exhibition centre, cafe, and you, wel- and, you wel- and you welcome all of those, but... Don't people coming to an exhibition centre, don't they need parking? They do. And I don't know if 450 spaces is enough. I think it probably is. Uh, within so 200 metres of Parky Creeve, there's at a minimum 450 spaces. I suppose the question is, how many spaces do you need um, for a cafe, events, uh, you know, uh, for uh, an event centre or whatever else mm. is in there, a museum? What do we expect? What are the traffic flows? Can we use coach people into museums? I'm not too sure. I haven't seen the information on that. But how many spaces do you need? If 150 spaces is required for the commercial success of Parque Cuyave versus the downfall of it, I think the problem's a lot greater than car spaces. Now, your other problem is that this wasn't in the original plan back in 2014. So this is, if you want, it's a new addition to what you understand to have been the original plans for the area? Well, absolutely. The Marina Park Development Plan, uh, which was approved by the City Council and all the councillors and the executive, uh, this is open green space. In fact, I'm pretty sure there's on one draft, there's a playground planned on the east side. You know, that's not funded yet. It has to be realised. But we prefer that than a car park. Uh, but in the Memorandum of Understanding that Parky Creeve signed with Barra back in 2014, there's a clause in it which says that Parky Creeve will not look for more parking anywhere on the Marina Park. So it's a clear be- breach of the Memorandum of Understanding that we had lived up to, but they haven't. Have you asked them about this breach? Yes, we have. And what have you been told? There's a shoulder shrug. You know, they know it's a breach. They're, you know, it's not a legally binding document, but it's a memorandum of, of under, understanding yeah. that we um, adhere to, but it isn't being adhered to by Parky Cueve at the moment. Of course, for that car park to go ahead, it's got to get the green light from City Hall, and I believe it's before them at the moment. Yeah, and we'd ask uh, the executive to kind of look in detail at this, look at the Marina Park Development Plan that they approved, got EU funding for, got government funding for, and say, you know, where's the best allocation of these resources? Is it for a car park that's not required? Or is it for the continual development of uh, the Marina Park? So uh, we would ask the council to not give Parky Cueve permission to go for planning on a car park here. We think it'll adversely affect the Marina Park to its detriment. It'll affect the whole uh, linear flow of what will be Ireland's largest linear park. 
you know, the whole point of Linear Park is that you have this uninterrupted access of people walking in one direction or the other and that you don't have to watch that you're in a car park or watch for cars crossing the pedestrian access points. Um, there will also be two more points coming out onto the Monaghan Road for cars if the car parks are developed, which is more kind of uncontrolled uh, cars in the area, which I don't think is for the best development of the Marina Park. I believe that you have the support of all of your six local ward councillors on this. We do, yes. We've been talking to multiple councillors and all of them um, agree the six local ward councillors are strongly opposed to this development. And they've made it very clear to Parky Creative Management uh, and to Cork City Council Executive that they are. So we'd hope that Cork City Council uh, Executive you know, notes the objection of their own six councillors in the ward area um, to this development. Now, your release says, and I quote, that Cork GEA should not take the support of local residents for granted in relation to plans mm-hmm. for up to seven major concerts. Now, whatever may or may not be planned in 2022, some of them will, of course, have that old clause on them subject to licence. Are you suggesting, or is Barris suggesting, that the local residents might object to licences if this car park is foisted upon them? I think everything's on the table at the moment, PJ. Uh, there's a statutory obligation uh, for local residents to be part of the consultation prior to the issuing of any licence. And we've taken a light-touch approach with up to now. Um, I think it's fair to say we've, uh, you know, uh, we've seen multiple concerts, multiple dates go through here. Uh, it's, you know, not very convenient for the local residents. It's, I understand they're great events and you see people having a great time at them, but it really does put local residents mm. out of kilter for that time frame. Yes. Like the last, the last time the Marina Park was pretty much shut down, couldn't go down there. You know, yes. no access. There'd be a number of concerts which were mm-hmm. cancelled as a result of COVID. They've already been yeah. rescheduled for 2022. We hear very likely yeah. other big name concerts on top of those. Each one will need a, a, a license. And what Correct. I'm yeah. hearing here is Barra pretty much saying, you need your license, now talk to us about this car park. Uh, what, I'm, what I'm saying is that we need to be taken into consultation for those licences, and we'll be much more actively involved in those consultations going forward. Um, we should be involved in the discussion about the, this car park a long time ago. It's going on a long time between Parky Creeve and Cork City Council executives without any input from local residents. Yeah. Well, we have asked uh, Parky Creeve for their side of the story here, and, and thank you for giving us yours. Thanks for your time, PJ. We really appreciate it. Now, I spoke to Colm yesterday. Um, prior to that, we'd sent an email yesterday morning to the GEA locally asking for a spokesperson to take a call with regard to this particular issue or in the failing of that, if they weren't able to provide a spokesperson, would they be willing to issue a statement on the situation between themselves and Barra or a press release? So far, we've not had any reply to our email from yesterday morning uh, to the GEA. So that's where the position currently stands. I'm hearing there, and I don't know if you're hearing it, I'm hearing a residents association saying very clearly, talk to us about this, or when you need a licence, it might not be forthcoming. Councillor Kieran McCarthy was on to us. I fully agree with Colm at Barra. One of the principal issues is the construction and intrusion of a car park on the physical western bank of the Atlantic Pond. 
there are serious ecological concerns in pursuing the construction on the edge of the pond. Plus, there are ongoing issues with the lack of a traffic management plan for Parky Cueve. That's from Councillor Kieran McCarthy, who is one of the ward councillors in that part of the city. And the point he's making, this particular car park, or this green space that will become a car park if the GAA gets what it wants, is literally, you wouldn't... It's not, it's not two minutes. It's not a minute's walk, actually, from the Atlantic Pond. It is the other side of the Atlantic Pond. All that separates it is a path. So that's the concerns. Some people who didn't do very well through education, Kevin reminds us, yeah, we all talk about Bill Gates, but Thomas Edison invented loads of stuff. He had no formal, inve- uh, formal education. My son was told in school, says this message, he would achieve nothing. Now he has his own company in America, and I'm so proud of him. There's loads of Irish lads in America who were told, you go to America, you'll never make it past the school gates. And they're over there now. Uh, and they're driving big cars and living in big houses with swimming pools. And they're going, what was that teacher's name again? I know, I know. 1850 Let me go back to about a month ago, or slightly less than a month ago, when I spoke to our friend John Campbell, Dr. John Campbell, uh, about the emerging news of the Indian variant, which is now known as the Delta. Uh, there are two or three of them, but there's one in particular was the concerned one, the concerning one, it's the point two one, and that's now known as Delta. And at the time, uh, John was quite concerned about the way that particular variant was developing, and we spoke about it. The UK Kent variant was more transmissible than the previous variant, therefore it outcompeted it, therefore it became the dominant variant. This Indian variant is more transmissible again, so even more transmissible than the B117 Kent UK variant. This is the concern. So it looks like this India variant will become it's likely now that this will become the predominant variant because it's, it's this is simple evolution pj this is reproducing and spreading more readily than the other variants so it, w- it will outcompete the the other variants it's very young people mostly are getting affected with new cases at the moment because of the way our vaccine program is working would you be concerned for those younger cohorts spreading the indian variant around the country well i think that's exactly what's going to happen now When we did that interview, we hadn't yet had the HSE cyber hack. So the COVID-19 information hub hadn't yet gone down. Uh, We were able to track cases day by day and week by week across Cork. We did this regularly on the programme and had done for for previous months. We can't do it now because we can't can't find the numbers. However, there's a a website called GISAID, G-I-S-A-I-D, and it is tracking variants around the world. Um, checking in with the various vac- uh, viral labs around the world. And we now know from GISAID that there are 61 cases of Delta in Cork. 61 cases of Delta. We don't know where they are. We don't know when they were diagnosed. We, we don't know anything other than there are 61 cases of Delta in Cork. And Peace and the Examiner tells us that we need to treat Delta with a clear a sense of clear and present danger. Professor Jerry Colleen from UCC. Jerry, good morning again. Good morning, Peter. How are you? Good. Now, John clearly laid it out to us about a month ago what was happening with Delta. We're in a very worrying situation, aren't we, in that we know it's here, we know there are cases in Cork and Dublin, but we've no idea where they are, so therefore outbreak management is practically impossible. Um, well, our public health teams uh, know where they are, but of course, 
outbreak management requires public participation. Um, you know, we all participate in, in, in lots of different ways by deciding, you know, whether we will go into a particular location or not. You know, if we have been there, we become very sensitive to minor symptoms, which are the norm with COVID, and therefore much more likely to turn up for a test. So, so public knowledge and, and public engagement and public participation is absolutely vital part of the whole the whole uh, response effort. And so it's just, you know, all the countries that are doing well are extremely public about the information. Mm. And, and that allows us all to, to not only participate when we need to, but also know when we can just take things a little bit easier because nobody can live on high alert all the time. Yeah. Uh, 61 yeah. cases across Cork City and County. I guess, look, in a population of half a million, that's a very small number. But it'll be still because of the transmissibility of this thing, still important to know where they are. Exactly. And the point is, I guess, with the small numbers, this is the time to do something. Um, we've, you know, we've spoken to a lot of our English expert colleagues and, um, you know, uh, you've got somebody like uh, Professor Christine Pagel repeatedly using the words too late in relation to England. It's not too late in relation to Ireland. We, we still have a chance to, you know, to, to smother this. But, but if, you know, if it gets beyond a certain scale, then um, it will be too late. And so There's no really danger, is there, Jerry, that we could end up back in, in January? Like, that's, that's not going to happen, given the level of vaccination. Surely it's not going to happen. Well, our vaccination levels aren't that high, particularly in relation to something like Delta, that, you know, um, is, is less responsive to vaccines than, than previous variants. So particularly if you have just one, if you've had just one vaccine shot, you know, uh, it gives you about a 33% protection against Delta. So if we look at our coverage in terms of number of people who are fully vaccinated, uh, you know, we're, we're really not there yet. Mm. And uh, the UK is well ahead of us in terms of vaccine coverage, but they're now surging into a new wave driven by this Delta variant. Mm. And because, like ourselves, they had a fairly high background, you don't see that until it breaks through the old variant and, and outgrows them. Yeah, because our hospital admissions and our ICU have gone off a cliff, even though we have a couple of hundred new cases a day, which that would suggest that the vaccines are working. In other words, even if people are getting it, they're not getting very sick. Yeah, no, the vaccines are working. They're still, um, you know, things like Delta have taken an edge of vaccine uh, effectiveness, but they still work. They're still very, very useful. Uh, we've got vaccination coverage across most of the mo- most vulnerable age groups. But we still have um, gaps in coverage uh, in the forgotten cohorts, cohorts four and seven. And then there's lots of young folks out there who still haven't been vaccinated. Um, a lot of them are parents and breadwinners uh, in their 30s and 40s who yeah. are very more likely to get long COVID yeah. than, than to die in hospital. And, um, you know, if we get back into exponential growth, um, you know, we could, it'll still take us there. We'd be much more like our second wave than our third or our first. So what, what do we need to do? We've got the open air dining open now. Lots of stuff gone back since Bank Holiday Monday. Lots of businesses opened again. Great to see it and all of that. We're supposed to have the next step, which is indoor dining, etc., from the 5th of July. What do we do, Jerry? Uh, well, the first thing is we need mandatory hotel quarantine with the United Kingdom. Uh, Never going to happen. You know that. Well, um, we might have to rethink that one. We, we did it for Brazil. Yeah, but how do you do it with an open border? Uh, border bubbles. So you give it, um, 
It's a scannable smart card. You can put it on your dashboard um, for local communities based on proof of of of, of local address. Uh, it worked fine for the Australian um, border communities. Mm. It can work fine here. So the people who have to go over and back on the border would go over and back on the border, but someone who just wants to fly into Belfast and go on holidays in Clare, it ain't going to happen. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, you know, and that's not new. It's not magic. It's been done. Um, it's not the, it's not the, um, you know, it's not an overwhelming task to undertake. But, you know, but the big issue and most of the, the traffic flow at the moment is with you know, England right now and, and now Scotland. Scotland is now following England. You know, those are the big immediate um, sources of, 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 of Delta and Kappa that we need to deal with. Mm. So those would be the immediate priorities. And we've done this before with P1. And our public health teams have shown they can keep, they can cope with small amounts of introduction. But, um, yeah. you know, with the kind of volume that you're talking about in terms of our connectivity with, with the UK, that's really... That's right on our doorstep. Yeah. And, uh, so you're thinking of the scenario, I, the, the scenario with the border is, I mean, you have the English person who can fly in to Belfast, meet his mates in Newry for lunch, and then they go back to Dundalk for their football training that evening, and before you know it, it's the problem with the porous border. Yeah, or, or roll off the ferry in Cork and, and go for a nice touring holiday. Yeah, as we reopen so, our uh, our hotels and everything. So, so you reckon, Jerry, mandatory hotel quarantine with the UK until it's under control over there, and we flatten it here. Is that it? Uh, yeah, and, and just just to be a little bit patient. Um, you know, I can wait an extra couple of months for my indoor pint at the bar, and if we just you know give our vaccine coverage time to catch up, keep pushing away, and then we really reopen properly and in a robust position because these are not the last variants. And uh, we need to get ourselves into a position where, you know, um, nobody knows quite what's going to happen. But at least if, if, if things take a wrong term, we're in a good position to cope with it. OK, leave it there. As always, uh, pleasure to have you on the Opinion Line. That's Professor Jerry Killeen uh, from UCC. As I say before, there are those who criticise Jerry. There are those who say, oh, Jerry's this and Jerry's that. But on this programme, Jerry's been right a lot more than he's been wrong. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. I love it. Every time we have Jerry on the programme, there is a stream of hate comes in on Twitter for the men. You can hate him all you like. He's been right an awful lot on this program over the last while. And all he's saying this morning is, look, let's just take it handy. He's saying we should probably have mandatory hotel quarantine with the UK. I completely agree with him. The practicality of it is another thing. But I totally agree. We should have mandatory hotel quarantine for every man jack coming into the country that's not here for essential business. I've believed that since day one. I know the border's a problem, the border, the border, the border, but there's a solution if you really want it. We've had that one played out before. But we'll see. Actually, in the UK, and I don't know if you're following the news over there at the moment, uh, they were to have their full reopening completed by the 21st of June. 
everything open, all the social distancing gone and all that by the 21st of June. Very, very strong noises now coming from the UK that that's not going to happen or that it at least might be delayed by two or possibly three weeks at a stretch because they haven't yet got the vaccine programme up to speed right across the UK. They're flying with it. They're calling in the other 25s now over there. And there's a queue of them outside football stadiums and other places to get their jabs. But they're just saying they might have to hold back on the 21st of June just so more people are double jabbed. So, like, we're not making this up as we go along. This is what's happening around the world. And John Campbell is also quite concerned about the speed of the transmissibility of this variant and, and other things besides. So it's, it's, it's not just Jerry Killeen. There are others concerned about it. We just need to be careful. Do we really want to end up in the same mess we were in in January? Do we? No, I certainly don't. 1850-715-996. Mickey Ballyfahan says the Indian government has requested that people stop using that phrase, the Indian variant. It's unfair to the Indian people and it also exoticizes it in a way I don't think is helpful. These are small changes in the virus. Well, Mick, I'm glad you have your virology hat on today. Thanks, Mick. No, seriously, I know we're not supposed to use the Indian variant anymore. The World Health Organization has called it the Delta variant. But when something starts out as the Indian variant and becomes the Delta variant overnight, it's a bit like when someone you work with gets married. You'll always call them by their old name. It's just a thing. And this is what's going to happen. The Indian variant will be called the Indian or the, or the variant that first originated in India until people stop. But I get your point, Mick. Thanks for that. Caller says as well, why, why don't we know where it is? Government and HSE must know, so why don't they tell us? My daughter lives in London. They get told where the variants are. And then they avoid those areas. Why don't we get the same kind? Well, part of it, caller, is down to the cyber hack. The HSE cyber hack means that the COVID network, the COVID information network is down. Now, as Jerry pointed out, and you can see it if you follow the public health in the west of Ireland, the public health group are releasing the information there. We haven't had any release of information from the public health department of the HSC South. It might be worth an email. It might be worth an email to the public health department in HSC South to see can they break down where these individual cases are or when they've been there or how... But so far, there's no access to where the 61 cases in Cork are. But definitely, it's a cause of concern. Before I move on, and I'm going to move on, the Back Garden Festival is back. This is Cork's Cork 96FM's exclusive online station. It was a massive hit last summer when we had nothing on anywhere. So we put on this Back Garden Festival app, and it's back. We're streaming the biggest hits from your favourite festival stars, the people that we can't go to see again. And it's all with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. Listen on the app. It's on right now or go to 96fm.ie. 1857-15996. Now, we had a message from a listener a couple of weeks ago, which, like a clever boy, I've got it, I've got it there now. We had a message a little while ago from a listener um, about couples living together. This was just an observation Couples living together and one partner dies. If one is working and the other isn't. If they apply for dole, they're treated similarly to a married couple. But if a partner dies, they won't pay out to the surviving partner. 
thinks it might make an interesting topic for people to know what else they might miss out on and also feels that laws should be, should be changed. It's an interesting observation and if you take a look at our law and a look at our law on couples and partnerships and marriage, couples do have more rights than they used to have in 2021 but not as many rights as a married couple still you're a couple you live together you have a couple of kids together you own a house together but you're not married your rights under the law are still different from the same couple next door to you who've been saying together the same number of years they own their house they've got a couple of kids who go to the same school or possibly in the same class as you have but their rights are different under the law doesn't sound right, but that's how it is. Vicky Buckley is a family law solicitor at Buckley Law Solicitors. Vicky, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? Uh, that is the situation, isn't it? Two identical families next door, one of them married, one of them not. Rights are different. It is. And I suppose the most basic answer to that is because of the Constitution. So marriage, as the relationship is recognised by the Constitution and therefore still, albeit in a somewhat draconian outlook, holds the superior rank with regards to recognition of relationships. So that's that's kind of the difference there. But it has changed. Things have moved on. Yeah. A lot of people still living, though, under certain uh, false senses of security, particularly with regards to children. So I suppose there's been two major pieces of legislation and not to get into the meaty issues and subsections of the of the law that have come in and have changed um, rights of cohabiting couples is to describe people that are living together in a formal context that haven't um, gotten married. So in 2010, we had the big act that came in and gave rights to the cohabitation um, couples. And we also had the Guardianship of Infants Act in 2015, sorry, the Child and Family Act, yeah, Guardianship, which gave uh, cohabiting couples more rights with regards to guardianship of their children. Yeah. So there was two, two, big, two big acts that came in and changed things. But just because I'm living with my partner and just because my name is on the birth cert, should anything happen to my partner, I'm not automatically the guardian, or am I? So, this is what happened. Um, so, what I would do to anyone who would come in and ask us that question, um, the first thing I would say is, how long have they been living together? And since January 2016, if you've been living together uh, in a relationship and you have a child for at least 12 months we can get a declaration then that you are a guardian. There's no problem then. Okay, mm. so there's, there's, there's an, an automatic... Yeah, but you still have to look for it, don't you? You still have to go and actively seek your guardianship. There's declaration, yeah, on consent that would be done. Yeah. But if, if it was questioned now that we have this new legislation, it's, it's nowhere near as difficult. Because if you have uh, parents of a child who aren't living together, well, then they have to go and make a full guardianship application. And that can be objected to for whatever many reasons there may be going on. Yeah. So it it has moved now in recognising, you know, that if a couple are living together, albeit in, in a married relationship type situation, for at least 12 months, well, then the new act allows for the parents to have an, an automatic declaration on consent for guardianship. But it is something that has to be thought about. Absolutely. 
Yeah, particularly if you have a situation whereby um, one of the parties may have had children from a previous relationship. Yeah. And then something, you know, God forbid, would happen to you. Yeah. So, you know, to, these are things that people do need to think about. And I suppose as, as a society, we only think about things when things go wrong. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm an hands up a, a person like that. But I suppose these are things that we do need to, to think about. Yeah. It's, it's straightforward, but it's, you know, it needs to be done. There really is a case to be made and it would go against some people's, I suppose, moral morals, I don't know if it's morals or not, her principles, that even if you've been together since forever mm. and you have a couple of kids and you're going to stay together forever and everything is grand and hunky-dory and you own the house and you own the car and you, everything else, there's a lot to be said for just toddling off into the registry office, isn't there? And getting that bit of paper. Um, there is, and I can see what you're saying about the morals side of things and, you know, I suppose we have a lot of same-sex couples now um, yes. you know, I'll and, get to and, that in a second. Yeah, so there's you know there's that to be recognised. There's a lot of divorced people um, that can't trot off and, and get married again. Yes, they can go for civil registry. Absolutely. Um, does it make things a bit more straightforward? Yes, it certainly does. Yeah. Um, I suppose the way of, of looking at it is, if you if you ask somebody to get married, you get your rights. Whereas if you don't ask somebody to get married, then you have to ask for your rights afterwards. Yeah, it's 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 a weird situation. Another another thing about it is that if if you die and you're not married, if one of you dies, there's no automatic right of inheritance or anything like that. No, so that's what I'm saying. You have to ask if you're not married, um, and that sounds terribly draconian now, doesn't it? But there is no automatic right of survivorship. But you can make an application to the court to show that you were a qualified cohabitant and that you were living together for the, the, the five years or two years, whichever yeah. it is, um, and that you were financially dependent on that person. Now, that's very important. Anything to do with applications for people that are living together after the relationship breaks down, there is a criteria that must be fulfilled. Yeah. that you have to say that you were financially dependent on the other person. Yeah, it's all very complex, really, when you think it about is. it. You have to ask for things. If you're not married to the person, you have to ask for and get paperwork for things that you're entitled to if you, if you are married to them. Like, simple thing, for example, and I know uh, when, 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 my, when my late dad died a couple of years ago, my, his pension transferred to my mom. Now, yes. if they weren't married, is there a problem with that? Um, you can, again, you have to ask. You have to ask for a pension adjustment order to be done. And you have to, again, show the financial dependency um, that you are the qualified person to receive that. So there's no automatic right to it, no. Yeah. It's a little bit tap in hand, so to speak. It is, isn't That's a very good way of putting it. That's a very good way. It is a small bit. And you know what's worse then is that, you know, when... If the relationship breaks down, you only have two years to go and make your claim. Whereas if people are married and they separate, they could go back 10, 12 years later for official separation or divorce, whatever the case may be. But if you are not married and you're in a cohabitation, you only have two years. So specific. Um, I was only talking to a colleague of mine last night about it. And it's to the day of the demise of the relationship. 
And if you're one day or two days later, it can be rejected. Sure, how the hell do you know what day you broke up? <laughs> it might um, have been coming for ages. There's, there's, there's more detailed questions. PJ, <laughs> we won't talk about this. There's, there's more I know, detailed yeah. Vicky, what is a, a cohabitation agreement? Is it literally a written document that people would have? It yes, it is. Um, and the other aspect, the other important thing to do is a will. Yeah. Like if you name somebody in a will, you don't have to be in a relationship with them. You know what I mean? Whatever you leave to them is to them. Um, and that's very important. So the cohabitation agreement is like a formal agreement between parties um, that, you know, set out if, if this breaks down, well, I get this and, and, and you get that. But I suppose... You know, most people can sit down and have a kitchen table discussion, as we would call it, when, you know, things break down to start with yeah. and say, well, look, I, I, I take the rocking chair and, and you Because take you never think whatever. it's going to break up in the real world, do you? Of course not. And then yeah. you have just angry lawyers floating around in the background, you know, saying, oh, you must do this and you must do that. No, no, you must do what's right for you. So yeah. I would say to everyone, have a kitchen table discussion if you can yeah. and have that agreement and be able to say, look, I've made a will. So God forbid anything happens. Mm. We're not married, but it's specifically set out because you don't have an automatic right to, to succession when you're not married. Yeah. There's the thing. You also don't have a right, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be, that oh. uh, you may have to pay capital gains tax if a house is sold after, after, uh, afterwards. There's a, there are tax implications if you're not married. That's like an honours law question. But there are, um, aren't there? There are, there are, yeah. There are. So, you know, you, you, it, it, with regards to the properties afterwards, it depends on uh, how you actually buy the property to start with. Is it joint tenants and tenants in common? And I mean, that that, that causes it's a mess. the professionals to glaze over, not to mind. <laughs> if you're Pop. emotionally upset over the fact that your lovely relationship has just gone wallop. Yeah. Know? Possibly best to avoid that one. But I, I guess what we're looking at here is, and the reason we wanted to follow this up, um, Vicky, when we got that message a few uh, weeks ago, was mm. nowadays the number of people who actually get married is is down. And you have lots of people living around the country, around the county, living together happy uh, ever after, and they have no need or no, they think they have no need for marriage and the kids will be fine and all of that. And I think the... the the, the lesson to be learned here is be wary. Uh, look, absolutely. And I, and I don't want to sound like the prophet of doom, you know, the family solicitors coming in when it all goes wrong. There there are ways to sit down. Like we had said earlier, guardianship. Do you know what I mean? If you're, if, if you're sitting at home and, and you're, in, you're living with somebody for five and six years and you have two or three kids and maybe, you know, that isn't the, the official guardian. Maybe go about doing something small like that. Um, because you know God forbid if somebody ends up in the hospital when the children end up you know sometimes the, the person that goes with them would be the guardian but they wouldn't be allowed to attend because they're not official so you know little little things to avoid yeah. um, chaos if it does go wrong because it's hard enough to pick up yeah. the pieces yes. now I'm saying you know do I have a percentage share in the property you know, it's it's so you know by by taking a breath and saying, okay, well we're not married, and the law is the law, and we can't change that now. So let's set out A, B, and C, um, so that under this new you know cohabitation act, we can avail of you know what we need if this goes wrong. It's not a nice conversation. Yeah. 
I suppose if you're going to spend the rest of your lives together, or at least intend to, then sure. there are legal implications. You probably sh- you probably should have it sewn up in a document somehow. Well, it's like a will, isn't it? It's not the nicest of things to have to do because you're writing about you know if you're gone, mm. but it has to be done because you know that that avoids uh, so much hassle afterwards if it's done. Okay, all right, Vicky. Good to talk to you. It's a broad topic that you could spend the morning at, but we won't. Good to spend a few minutes with Vicky Buckley, family law solicitor. If you are not married and you have the couple of kids and the kids are going to school and everything is great, if everything is marvellous for you, uh, just be certain that it won't be a legal quagmire if you're not married. 1850 715 Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairymaid Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96FM. See it this afternoon for big tunes to help you fly through the day if you're at work, in the car, or you just need a soundtrack for that housework. I'm here to help from midday on Cork's 96FM. Some comments coming in on the couples and loads of stuff on... Uh, whether or not you think we should be scared of of what Jerry Killeen has to say and other people saying give us a break, Kevin says give us a break PJ, Cork and the rest of the country is beginning to open up let us try to enjoy a bit of a summer without going over this scaring people for the building the time, well I don't know where you're hearing anything about scaring people Kevin I really don't, but this is a bit like when you were 5 or 6 or 7 and you were learning to cross the road and your mum said hold my hand and your dad said, hold my hand. And then you were a big boy and you learned to cross the road on your own. But you were always warned to look left and look right and look right again and wait for the bus. And if the bus has come and let it pass. Well, right now we're trying to cross the road and there's a bus coming with the name of Delta. Try to let it pass or do our best to avoid it. That's all that's happening here. We can open up. We can do all these things. We can get on with life. It'll be great. We just need to be very, very, very careful. 1850-715-996. I remember sitting in the other studio, in Studio 2, in 2015. It was my... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. March. The 20th of March. And it was a nice morning. Um, a nice brightish morning in March and it started to get really dull in the middle of the show maybe the first hour of the show started to get really dull not dark now but we almost had twilight again in the middle of the first hour of the show and that was a partial eclipse of the sun 
There's another one tomorrow. Um, David Moore is astronomy is the editor of Astronomy Ireland magazine. David, good morning. Good morning. And and these eclipses are are one of the things you study uh, full time because they're fascinating. I do remember that one, the twentieth of April or twentieth March in in twenty fifteen, and we almost had mid morning twilight. Is that likely tomorrow? It's not quite as good as twenty fifteen. That was the last eclipse, better than the one that's happening tomorrow morning. We had a about 92% of the sun covered from the centre of Ireland. That's its diameter, so nearly all of the sun. Tomorrow we'll get about 45% in the north and 40% in the south, so nearly half of the sun's diameter is going to be covered. That'll cut out more than a third of all the sunlight. So if people are watching thermometers, sort of rising in the morning, we're pretty sure the temperature will turn down and drop a few degrees. And you may even notice it's a lovely, clear blue sky, that the sun doesn't look quite as bright as it would on a normal sunny day, with a third of the sunlight gone, after all. Yeah, I'm looking at, at the, the, the weather patterns, or the ones we can expect for tomorrow, and unfortunately the morning isn't great. It's um, overcast with a UV index of about 3 by 10 o'clock when this eclipse should start. So what will I notice? Well... The day could be a little bit darker, but then clouds can be thin or very thick. So that can affect the brightness of the day even more than the sun. But certainly there are very thick clouds around and a third of the sunlight is gone. It's going to be even darker than normal. I don't know if it'll be super obvious, but if you're aware of it, you might be able to say that it does feel a bit darker than it should be. But my attitude to the weather forecast is ignore it. Two reasons. The first is it is only a forecast. It can be wrong. So don't plan not to see the event just because of the eclipse and then for it to be gloriously clear. That happened to us in 1999. The weather forecast, while we were standing at a big watch we had in the Phoenix Park in Dublin, the Met Office were saying that it's going to be uh, cloudy over the country. And we were standing there in glorious sunshine, the whole two-hour event. There wasn't a single cloud across the sun. So to be fair to our friends in Met Aaron, Cloud cover is the most difficult thing to predict. The temperature, the wind speed, the mm. precipitation, easier. But cloud cover is really hard. And the second thing is, it's the sun, the brightest thing in the sky. If there's just a tiny break, that's all you need to get a glimpse of the eclipse. Mm. It's a very slow-moving event over two hours. Yeah. So, you know, for the sun not to peak out for over two hours would be very rare in Ireland. And certainly, even if the whole country was forecast to be cloudy... Somebody in the country would definitely get a break and we'd have pictures for our magazine next month. Great. Now, remind us again how it happens. It's basic, simple physics. We all learned it in school, but we've all forgotten it. How does this happen, David? Yeah, it's very simple, really. All it is is the moon passing in front of the sun. So the Earth is going around the sun. The moon is going around the Earth every month. There are 12 full moons every year. That's where we get our months of the calendar from. And it, the sun's orbit, though, is not exactly in the same plane as the Earth's orbit about the sun. So sometimes the moon can go above the sun or below the sun. We can't see the moon then because the sun is blinding us, looking towards it. But when the alignment is perfect, then you do get the moon passing in front of the sun. And for this particular eclipse, if you're up near the North Pole, from sort of Canada across to Russia, uh, you would actually see the moon pass completely in front of the sun. It's a bit too far away this time, and the moon wouldn't completely cover the sun. There'd be a thin ring of light around the sun, and that would mean that you get what's called an annular eclipse, an annulus meaning ring in Latin. So it's an annular eclipse, 
from thousands of miles away from us. But we're close enough to that that we still get to see nearly half the sun's diameter covered. Now, the important part, never look directly at the sun. How do we watch this thing if we are in a position to do so? Yeah, we want people to have a safe eclipse. And we've written an article in Astronomy Online magazine. People can still get it. Uh, if you order the magazine online, you'll get it digitally. And that will actually tell you loads of different ways to watch the sun in safety. The simplest one to try and describe on the radio is a pinhole camera. And all you do there is you get a sheet of tinfoil, cardboard, paper, punch a hole in it with a sharp pencil, one or two millimetres across, and then let the sunlight fall through that hole and pick up the sunlight on a sheet of paper, white paper, held a few feet away. And you'll see a disc of the sun. And when the moon takes a big bite out of it, you will see that with a simple pinhole camera. There are eclipse glasses that you can get, probably too late to order them by post now from Astronomy Ireland, and they will actually allow you to look directly at the sun in safety. They're EU certified uh, that they not only get rid of most of the, of the light, but also all of the infrared and ultraviolet that you can't see, which is the reason why you should not use sunglasses, not even several pair of them, mm-hmm. because there's no guarantee they cut out all the infrared light. And the other so, myth is never use even Polaroids. Even if you cross po- two sets of Polaroid glasses in, for maximum blockage, you're still not safe. Yeah, you're talking about your eyesight, so you know yeah. you need to use uh, glasses or other special types of filter that have been certified by the EU have tested okay. them for all wavelengths of light, the ones we can see and can't see, and they've got the CE symbol stamped on them. Yeah. Uh, but you, if, if you're a bit more risk, risky, if you read the magazine article, you'll see you can project an image through even one side of a pair of binoculars, but you have to be extremely careful, especially if you're viewing in a group. Kids are drawn to binoculars like magnets, uh, and they will try to look through the eyepiece, and if they did that, Enough they'd be blinded said. before they could blink. Enough said. You are streaming it online, so you'll, if you get a yeah. good view, we'll all have a good view. Exactly. Now, we, we have... Special telescopes have huge, big filters on the front of them, so they never let bright sunlight into the telescope to begin with, and it gives a nice, comfortably bright image for the camera, which can then be streamed online. We've two and a half hours. We don't know how we're going to do with the clouds. We could have a perfect eclipse. We might only get a few seconds to glimpse it. The other thing we want people to do is, if they're taking pictures, even of their pinhole camera, get a close-up on your camera phone of that, to send them into astronomy. And we want mainly Irish pictures to record this eclipse as seen from Ireland. It is the best in a 10-year period from 2015 to the next one better than this is 2025. And you'll see on astronomy.ie where to send those. And hopefully people will join the club too and start an interest in astronomy because there's going to be partial eclipses and not as good as this one, almost every year from now till the end of the decade. So there are giant sunspots coming as well. The sun is increasing in activity. So just actually viewing the sun safely is going to be something that's very rewarding over the next few years. And there's loads of other things to see in the sky. Just just in case I wanted to put a date in my diary, David, finally, when is the next time I might see a total eclipse of the sun Uh in Ireland? Well, they're very rare. If you stood on one spot spot on the Earth's surface, it's estimated you would see a total eclipse every 400 years. So the best thing you do is travel. We actually have a travel club. We invite anyone in Ireland to join us. We've been to Bulgaria, Turkey, USA. Our next one is going to be 2024 to Mexico. We'll announce details of that in the early 2023. But... Last time a total eclipse happened on Irish soil was in 1724. Wow. And there won't be another eclipse on Irish soil until the 23rd of September in the year 2090. And the good and bad news is, 
It only just barely clips Ireland, and that's the bad news. The good news is it's in Kerry and West Cork, so you're not too far away. It's late for me, though, uh, I'd say. I can't imagine me still being around <laughs> in 2019. Well, even, even crankier than I am today. I know our headquarters were on the uh, north side of Dublin, um, though we're a national group. Uh, they, we won't have an eclipse till the 5th of May in the year 2600. So oh. they are quite rare. Okay, keep keep that one in your diary. Before I let you go, David, did you see that the uh, the American government is is admitting that UFOs are real? What do you think of that? Well, of course, unidentified flying objects are definitely real. People see things they can't identify. We have a go at identifying when people contact us from time to time. There are often things like these uh, Chinese uh, what do they go Chinese lanterns, uh, lanterns, Chinese lanterns, or planet Venus or fireballs with bright meteors and things like that. But there are a certain cohorts that you cannot easily explain. I've seen some of the military fighter pilot footage that, you know, you can think of what explanations there might be for them. But the thing for me is they, they, you don't see alien crafts with aliens waving out the windows, and we don't see them landing. So I'm pretty sure that they all have some kind of natural or even man-made mm. explanation. Do, do you believe in men on another planet? Not aliens. Do you believe in aliens, David, on another planet? Not buzzing the Earth, no. But when you look at how we think life got started on the Earth and eventually evolved into us talking about it, you you see that there could be a few very special steps along the way. Give an example. The dinosaurs were around for 160 million years. So thinking humans haven't been around 1 million years. So why didn't the dinosaurs develop technology, smartphones, the Internet, and all the rest of it? Uh, so there can be sort of dead ends that evolution goes down. Also, animals only appeared a few hundred million years ago. The, the Earth is 10 times older than that. Why did 90% of the time not have any animals? And your planet has to stay very stable for life to, to evolve into a thinking species. So we're, pre- we're pre- pretty sure there's probably life out there, but it might just be simple, almost chemical life uh, okay. that hasn't yet evolved. How often we get intelligence, that's a very big question. We're pretty sure, though, we should get lots of life in the universe. There's more planets in the universe than there are stars, and probably a lot of them are Earth-like or that could sustain life such as we have on the Earth. And we think chemistry will just get it going whenever you have the right conditions. David, always a pleasure to speak with you on the opinion line on Quark's 96. I mean, that's David Moore, the editor of Astronomy Ireland magazine. This time tomorrow it'll have started... Uh, we'll see. And tomorrow morning, if you are listening to us anywhere around the city and county and it goes unusually dark or you notice a change, like if you're out and it starts getting cold, let us know. We, because we had great fun here in uh, 2015 when we had an eclipse. Uh, and that was, it, it got kind of twilighty in, in mid-morning. And there was a real people, some people, some people claimed it got black dark, which possibly may have been something extra in the cornflakes. It didn't. But at the same time, it was fun. We'll, we'll watch it with interest in the morning. See, did we actually see anything? 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? 
the opinion line on Corks 96 FM with Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Fallout is a series of installations across the city curated by visual artists in residence at Plug Projects. It features work by artist Jessica Ackerman, Podrick Spillane and French Vicky Davis, David Mathuna and Andrew McSweeney. Access all areas. Together Apart is the next performance in Cork Orchestral Society's online concert series and will be streamed from Curtis Auditorium this Saturday. It includes performances from Roddy O'Keefe and David Keating and can be found at CorkOrchestralSociety.ie Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Just loving the hate of Jerry Killeen. And I think Jerry loves it too. I laugh at the people who hate Jerry Killeen. Yeah. Ah, well, sure, have fun, lads. Enjoy your little playground. Because uh, uh, the man's been right more than he's been wrong. And so have many others that you don't like either. So we've taken a line on this programme to listen to real science and real doctors and real people. So, yeah, forget it. 1850s, I know I'm winding them all up devil, like a devil now. I know I am, I know. Speaking of stuff to do with COVID, we've been getting messages about the vaccination. And look, it is going well. We've got 3 million doses given out now. As Jerry says, we're not yet at the point where enough people are fully vaccinated. Well, we've got three million doses given out and there'll be more progress over the next couple of weeks. But a lot of people still seem to be getting left behind. We're getting emails and messages from people who had one job, or sorry, one jab, and they're still waiting on their second, or they themselves have had a vaccine, but their younger partner or younger friend hasn't been called and should have been called. Like Betty was on about the 60 to 69-year-olds. My husband and myself are both 69. Uh, She's had her vaccine. Their son has had his vaccine. But her husband hasn't been called for his second one yet. People are being left out along the way. And that's a bit concerning. I'd say if you're being left out, just bug bug your GP or bug the HSE until you get called. You get called eventually. There was huge problems a year and a bit ago, or maybe last year, among creches and care centres and that kind of place, trying to get insurance. And it has arisen its ugly head again. A leading broker has now revealed, I'm reading from the Independent here, a leading broker has revealed it contacted 15 Irish and UK insurers for cover for the childcare sector and each of them declined to provide quotes. Some creches across the country have reported that high costs are affecting their business. One major chain is reporting an increase of nearly 310% in its premium from last year. Now, I thought this had been sorted out somehow when we were talking to the providers uh, a year or so ago. Peter Boland is with the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Peter, I thought it had been sorted. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Um, emergency measures were put in place last year, PJ. So essentially what has happened is that one 
underwriter, Alliance, is more or less covering the entire early childhood sector in Ireland, which is far from an ideal situation. Now, this is not Alliance's fault. Um, in fairness to them, we have no axe to grind when it comes to insurers, but essentially, as you've outlined, um, everybody else or virtually everybody else who offers cover in this area has withdrawn from the market. So whilst this is a, a new and up-to-date development, it's part of a much longer uh, process in this country. We have historically awarded way more than anybody else, uh, Europe-wide or even globally-wide in most cases. That has made Ireland, which is already a small market, uh, very unattractive to international underwriters. And they have pulled progressively over the last five years from any sector which offers a risk. So it's not even necessarily, and I think you might have noticed in that article, that the the operators have said that they don't have any claims pending and yet they've been hit with increases. And that yeah. would be uh, quite a common experience. But the fear among insurers is that for all of the premiums that they get in, all it would take in Ireland is one serious incident in order to wipe out any right. gains or any profits that they have made. But, but aren't so, we at a point, Peter, where we're now looking at major reform, like books of quantum are being rewritten and all of that? Yes, but this is an oil tanker, not a speedboat. And so while reforms are coming through, we would have a major concern about, we've identified about 35 different sectors that either cannot get cover right now or are down, like the um, early childhood sector, to their last underwriter with all of the problems that that presents. So I'm not going to list off 35 CFPJ, but I'll give you a flavour of it. We're talking adventure centres, artists, bike hire shops, children's playgrounds, festivals, home care providers, independent marts, late night yeah. venues, minority sports, nursing homes and taxis. Like, you basically, there's a summary of Irish society. And these are sectors that currently are really struggling uh, to get affordable. And are we covers. looking so, at creches and other businesses here in Cork? Like? Oh, 100%, because this issue has affected uh, creches and other preschools right across the range so and, and right across the country. And what a lot of them did, in fairness, was that they, they absorbed the cost. So um, when this blew up uh, December 12 months, and we, uh, Allianz, stepped into the breach for, for many who had lost their underwriter. Um, they, um, and I'm sorry, there's no connection whatsoever, by the way, between Allianz, the underwriter, and uh, ourselves, who are the Alliance for Insurance Reform, we're a, a mm. campaign group, a lobby group, and there is no connection. But anyway, getting back to my point, um, we, when that I issue blew up, it affected everybody nationwide, and many of the operators didn't increase their prices, they absorbed them. Um, and, uh, however, because of COVID, they're at the end of their tether. Yeah. So stage. are we looking realistically, Peter, are we looking at um, mums and dads having to pay more money or lose out? Some will and some won't, yes. Um, and it's, it's not, in other words, some will have to pay increases and some won't. Particularly, It's already very expensive to have a child minded anyway. Absolutely. And we have a very specific model in Ireland, which uh, is another story entirely. But certainly there, there, there may be some further increases. There may be increases where operators just cannot afford to absorb the cost anymore. Uh, there are others where the cost was passed on last year and 
it's not an issue. So it, it varies from uh, from operator to operator. Um, we would have a serious concern that if this continues, uh, that um, there will be places that will not be able to get cover. And so there is a fix to this. Um, the government established uh, an office called the Insurance Competition Office as part of their response to the insurance crisis uh, and it is led by Minister State Sean Fleming who is direct responsibility for the insurance area and we have and continue to call on this office to get moving uh, as a matter of urgency and get out into the global markets and find underwriters who are prepared to underwrite the kind of sectors that we're just talking about now and to do it as a matter of urgency because there's plenty of reform happening happening, and you've alluded to that. Um, But good news doesn't travel nearly as quickly as bad news. And so getting the message out to global operators is critical. And the minister and his staff should be out there saying, look, this is what we've done. This is what we're planning to do. And there's certainly plenty in the government action plan. And uh, please come and have a look at the Irish market in the way that, for example, the IDA does. Okay. Uh, globally. It's something we're going to have to come back to. Uh, leave it there for today for no reason other than time, Peter. Thank you very much. Worrying times again for parents wanting childcare for their kids. It's either going to become prohibitively, even more prohibitively expensive or it won't be there at all because of insurance. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Rosari was on with a question and I... Uh, David Moore said it's probably too late to get them out by post now, which is most unfortunate. But Rosari was on to say, would any of the listeners know where in Cork she might get those special glasses to watch the solar eclipse? They're for her son, uh, Shaquille, who's 10 years old and absolutely obsessed with it. Well, isn't it great to see a youngster of 10 like that obsessed with something as wonderful as the physics and science of a solar eclipse? That's brilliant. And if anybody has a set of those glasses or knows where she might get them, or if maybe David uh, could find out, or someone, because I'd love to do a child that's that fascinated with science at the age of 10, if we could help him at all with seeing that tomorrow to be just great it is very short notice I we didn't know about this Rosario in the last couple of days I'm sure we could have got them for you but if anybody does know where a little 10 year old lad who's obsessed with space and science and the sun and solar eclipses and all that could get to see what's about to happen tomorrow it would be really great get in touch with us if you can help alright 1850 715 at 996. Craig, with regard to questions, says, is this a case of the compo culture finally catching up? Well, Craig, what you've got is a lot of places that just can't get quoted, even if they haven't had a claim for Yonks, because someone else claimed compo. A child fell over and skinned its knee and got ten thousands 
thousands. Yeah, it happened all over the place and now the underwriters are saying, no, Ireland, forget it. Forget it, lads. Ireland, are you joking me? They're, they're compo mad over there. That is the way it is with, with a, a lot of different insurers now. Carlos says, I don't know what's going on with the vaccines, but my daughter's doing the same job as other people in healthcare, but with a different company. They all got vaccinated a long time ago, but she is still waiting. Ring the information line, caller, because we are hearing that if you ring the information line, give them a bit of grief, even grief. Just just talk to them and ask them what the problem is and see see can you get sorted. Because I know a lot of people when you do make an inquiry, they are getting sorted. They really are getting sorted. Uh, do we know there's loads of strains of the flu and they're the same of all as as all viruses. But this is not the flu. This is nothing like the flu. So don't be giving anyone who starts talking about the flu in the same breath as COVID nineteen with me. Forget it. It's not the flu. Or nothing like the flu. Thanks, though, for your message. 1850-715-996. How would you know if your child had diabetes? Type 1 diabetes. Because it is there are two types of diabetes, as we know. Diabetes 2 is the one that you develop. And it's, many say, lifestyle-related. You develop it. But type 1, you're, you're born with. And sometimes it can't or doesn't develop until a couple of years into your life and you can get very sick before it's discovered and there's a big awareness campaign on at the moment. Sinead Powell is a senior dietitian with Diabetes Ireland. Sinead, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Good, thank you. This is the contrast, isn't it, between type 1 and type 2. Type 2 is one that you develop. Type 1, you're, you're generally born with, but you might know you have it or you might know your child has it until they suddenly get very, very sick on you. Yeah, so type 2, as you say, lifestyle related and generally uh, occurs over the age of 40. But type 1, you're actually not born with it, CJ. But it does develop, and that's a common misconception. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you addressed it because I wasn't sure. Uh, Yeah, yeah, but it's, you know, it's it's, it's something that that people an awful lot of the time will think. And I suppose that's one of the the reasons that we really want to make people more aware about. Uh, type 1 in children and in young adults because the symptoms come on quite quickly and the campaign is really to reduce the number of incidences where you have children requiring uh, hospitalisation for a life-threatening complication which is preventable and that's DKA Mm. but before I explain what that is maybe it's just the acronym that was developed by some marketing students in TU in uh, working with us and uh, Professor Ender Roach was to think test uh, when you're thinking about the symptoms of type 1 diabetes. Yes, and yes. The, 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 and like I said, I've fallen for it like, like many others, this, this commonly held misconception that you are born with it. Where did that come from? I think it's just because people think older people, lifestyle type 2, and younger people, type 1, potentially. But um, it's very rare even to get type 1 diabetes under the age of six months. So it's more common in children and young adults, but it can, in fact, occur at any age. It's autoimmune, which means that the body starts attacking its own cells. So for one healthy and able to produce insulin um, that's, uh, for reasons that we still don't understand. Okay. The body starts attacking its own cells so it stops making okay. um, insulin. Right, yeah. that, now that's, that's big learning for me and I think for a lot of people and thank you, thank you for that. Now TEST is a fabulous acronym and you say this was, who drew this up? 
So, but I probably shouldn't confuse it. We used to say four T's in the past, but uh, it was worked on with um, some students in TU Dublin. And it's quite a visual campaign. It's good and it's easy to see on our website, diabetes.ie. It's kind of done in the characters of like Marvel. So it's more cartoon-like. Yeah. So it's just jump it out. front of me. It looks brilliant. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's... Um, all do- downloads there for schools, you know, that could be placed in, in places, you know, where, where young people are. So that we're, you know, they're very straightforward. The test for diabetes is a very simple finger prick. So if you have these symptoms, it can rule out type two diabetes or type one diabetes straight away. So it shouldn't progress to this life threatening um, DKA. But in fact, last year, um, 40% of hospitalizations with new diagnosis with type one did end up in DKA. So that's something we're trying to prevent. And we'll get to that in a minute, what it is and how you might recognise it. But the the test is Mm -hmm. thirst, energy, sudden weight change and toilet trips. So is this in a child or in a young adult? Is it the same in everybody? It's the same in everyone. And the reason that that's the big difference between type 1 and type 2 is type 2 can develop over years. So you don't get these symptoms until your blood glucose levels are usually in figures around 14 or 15. So I'm guessing you don't have diabetes, PJ, but yourself and myself or anyone without diabetes, their blood glucose levels are always tightly controlled by the production of insulin between, say, four and eight. Okay, Um, so if you then stop making insulin, your body isn't able to get the glucose that it usually would use from food. So it builds up in the blood. And then when it goes too high, so above this 15, your body wants to get rid of it. Mm -hmm. And how it gets rid of it is you pee it out. So now you're peeing out all that good energy from your food. You're going to the toilet loads. You're going to get thirsty. So there's your thirst, your energy is reduced because it's mm. all going down the toilet. Mm. You're going to have sudden weight loss because all of that energy that would normally go into the cells or the liver until we need it, right. again, going down the toilet. How sudden are we going, talking? How sudden? It can, it depends. So it does come on quite quickly, so over weeks or months. So some people are in a honeymoon period for about six months where they might have a little bit of insulin, but you're feeling sick. Now, the thing that sometimes children can go to the doctor and, and GPs, we'd only, we only have about 25 cases, which is, I suppose, it's still a lot um, a month in Ireland of type 1. But a GP may, you know, only diagnose one or two children with type 1 diabetes in their working life, you know, when you think about it that way. So that's why we're trying to uh, educate parents, teachers, professionals to think like this. So it says, you know, you might go in and your child might have one of these symptoms, but they might have an infection or a sore throat or something else. So at that point, we should always be thinking or, you know, be thinking, well, let's just rule that one out if they have any of those symptoms. Right. So if they're, getting because, up, if they're getting up more than they normally yes. would to go to the toilet, if they're yes. drinking more than they normally yes. would, if they just yes. run around the place yes. and if they've started to lose weight, whether they're a child yes. or an adult, it's, it's yes. time for action. Exactly. So, so what would happen is, you know, if you were thinking like that, now it could be something else, but at least that finger prick, so it's just a finger prick, drop of blood on a test strip, the blood glucose level, if it's over 11, will show up there. So you've picked up your type 1 diabetes instead of what can often happen is 
the parent goes in, you know, we're not thinking diabetes, we're thinking, oh, it might be an infection, come back, see how you're doing. But that can deteriorate quite rapidly into what we say is DKA. And now, that let's means... Let's go there, Let, let's go yeah, there, because okay. I've, heard, I've heard of someone who had it and it frightened yes. the living life out of the parents. Yes, uh, and the thing is that what we're saying here, most people are picked up um, in with type 1 diabetes, but 40% weren't last year. But what DKA is, is basically it stands for diabetic ketoacidosis. And it's what happens when if the type 1 diabetes isn't picked up. So the treatment for type 1, first of all, is insulin, and that'll bring the blood glucose levels back down, and, and, and you know, that's a separate conversation. But if it's not picked up in time, what the body needs is, if it's not able to get the glucose from food, it's going to try to get, get it from somewhere else. So what it does is it, break down, it breaks down the fat in the body, and this produces ketones, which can become quite acidic in the blood. And that's where the damage is caused because that can lead to a, uh, it's a metabolic complication which will need treatment with um, insulin and uh, hydration, fluid, when they go to hospital. So that then is another complication. So where every every child in Ireland that's diagnosed, they do require inpatient admission where they'll have a team that will have an amazing education program and start sort them and get them set up on insulin. But if they come in, in DKA, they may require ICU uh, admission, and it just makes the whole process longer than it should be. Right. So that's what we're trying to highlight, essentially, was, in our awareness campaign. There was a time, Sinead, when a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes meant injections every day for the rest of your mm-hmm. life, and mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. painful, painful ones, and having to learn them as a little child to yeah. inject yourself. Have we, have we changed? So it, that's a good point. So type 1 diabetes, it's very easy for me to say, look, this is a, a condition where you can have a full and active life and achieve everything. And on our website, there's some brilliant stories of amazing kids with great resilience that do go on to do everything they want to do. But it's a huge burden. It's tough having type 1 diabetes. And I always have to say that on our helpline to any parent, it's a massive thing that you have to get your head around because everything that you do um, affects your blood glucose levels, okay? And you don't get a holiday from it. And we recognize there's conditions called diabetes distress and diabetes burnout because if you're under four or you're above 15, you're going to feel not great and you're not going to be able to do the same activities that every peer, child, young adult can do. So it's about trying to keep it in range as much as possible. So back to your question, type 1 diabetes still requires insulin uh, via a pump or a pen. I'm talking about it for 20 odd years and we still don't have a cure, but we have amazing advances in technology. Mm -hmm. So we have, instead of the finger pricks now, we have continuous glucose monitoring devices and flash glucose monitoring. You might see children wearing this white kind of plastic disc on their arm, they're now able to scan that, okay? So instead of doing the finger prick, they can scan that as many times as they want. So it's one of the biggest advances that we have um, in the treatment of type 1 diabetes in the last few years because it gives the parents an awful lot more control over which direction, which trend their uh, glucose levels are going and kind of takes a little bit of the fear out. But saying all that, you know, it's 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 a tough if it's a tough diagnosis to, to yeah. get to grips with, and uh, we have a, a care centre in Cork. Um, now there's only very limited places left, but we have uh, 
some supports for parents in the Cork area around coping with type 1 diabetes in the family. So if anybody wanted more access to that, um, email corkcarecenterdiabetes.ie. Okay, okay. Um, So, again, we've shared that poster for anybody Mm -hmm. who wants to see it. But effectively, if you have a child who has an increased level of thirst, they're just turn around the place, their energy is, is, is down, yeah. they're going to the toilet a lot and you think they're losing weight, get them to the doctor and it won't take two seconds to check it out. Exactly, exactly. And and there's a lot more information, like I say, on the great stories of people living with type 1 diabetes and some other symptoms. And, and I suppose the difference between type 1 and type 2. So all our information um, is on diabetes.ie or we have a helpline number 018428118. So please support us to do the work that we do. We've just had a, a fundraising campaign over the weekend to try and keep our, our helpline um, calls are up 78% on last year because we're finding that people aren't able to access usual care and, you know, with the cyber attack, they're relying on charities and, yeah. you know, other means. So so anyone that can support us to keep raising awareness and uh, in the work we do, we'd really appreciate that. Yeah, has has, has COVID affected your, your ability to Absolutely. deliver services? Yeah. Absolutely. So so the, the majority of my work is in type 2 diabetes education. So all of our face-to-face uh, services have been impacted. So we've had to adapt and we've done that and we're a very small team. We have a great team um, of staff and of volunteers. So we've put an awful lot online okay. between patient webinars and our education programs. But like every single charity, we have been hit massively. Our, our fundraising uh, is down 30%. So it's a real struggle to think how are we going to keep doing what we do to fill the gaps um, that have been left with COVID, you know, by the pressures put on the HSE. All right. Well, here's hoping that you can continue to do that. Thanks very much to you. That's Sinead Powell. She's a senior dietitian with Diabetes Ireland. And the number, if you want to get in touch, there's a helpline number, the Diabetes Helpline number is 018428118. That's 018428118. If you're a parent looking for support, uh, you can email Center at diabetes.ie. That's Cork, I beg your pardon, I beg your pardon, thanks Terry, shouting in my ear there, Cork Care Centre, Cork Care Centre at diabetes.ie, mea culpa, Cork Care Centre, all one word, small letters, at diabetes.ie, or the helpline, 01-842-8118, Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM. Just to remind you that next Monday, the winning starts, the 14th of June. Loads of cool new smart, smart speakers to give away here on Cork's 96FM. It's our free speaker frenzy. Just listen for the cue to text or WhatsApp, then we'll call you back. Repeat the phrase, play Cork's 96FM to win yourself a smart speaker. We've loads of them. Loads of them. It's Cork's 96FM free speaker frenzy with Blackpool fully opened up. It's great to be back. See blackpool.ie and stay listening to win from Monday. Remember to say when we call you back, play Cork's 96FM. 1857 15, 15, Midsummer Festival will be getting underway.
the Cork Midsummer Festival runs throughout the month of June. And here is a wonderful, wonderful idea. I just love this idea. Imagine Magella just turning up at your door, right? Just turning up at your door to sing that in the driveway of your house. Like he turned up yesterday to sing it for the Taoiseach when he visited Cork. Lorraine May is director of the Cork Midsummer Festival. What a great idea, Lorraine. Good morning. Good morning. This is a wonderful idea. Tell me more about it. Sure. Um, well, it's an idea that originated in Helsinki. Uh, so they did it first in the Helsinki Festival. And we just thought it was such a gorgeous idea. So the idea behind it is that people log on to our website. Um, they put in their details. They can book an art gift either for themselves or for a loved one or a friend. Um, and essentially what happens is, you know, they pick a time and at that time, uh, a performer shows up on their doorstep. So it could be an opera singer. It could be a folk singer. It could be a circus performer. Uh, it could be a spoken word performance, dance, theatre to deliver a five to ten minute short performance for them and everyone else who's in their house on their doorstep. Who do you have? So we have, we, we have been keeping them uh, uh, quiet up until now. So we have 20 Cork artists involved in this. Um, but as, as you can see from yesterday, when we were thrilled that um, uh, the Taoiseach was able to experience our gifts on the doorstep of one of the houses in Elizabeth Fort, we have Michelle Akulla. Uh, we have John Spillane, we have Cormac Mohalley and Kate Mitchell, both brilliant circus artists, and a whole host of others, uh, surprise artists as well. So when you open the door, you don't know what's going to be on the doorstep. You've no idea, even when you book it? No, you don't know what you're booking. So, um, so the idea is that much the same as a present, when you open it up and you don't know what's in there, uh, that's the same when you open your door, you don't know what's going to be on your doorstep, but everything is as wonderful as, as Magella Cullis' performance, which, you, which we just heard there now, and accessible for everyone, for, for all ages, families, older people, um, and they're available all across the city as well. So um, they're available during the day on Friday too, so people can book for people who might have been working from home, stuck in the house. Uh, you know, it's an opportunity to have a, a lovely surprise performance from the midst of our festival on their doorstep in the middle of the day this is this and and here's the best bit it's free it's totally free yeah wow. completely free that's just phenomenal yeah yeah and so when when, can, like, when when are, when are they to be availed of when is it on when when can you when so did, it's on the 18th and 19th of june so they're available throughout the day on the 18th and 19th of june across the city so if you can imagine, there's 320 artists available in total. So we'll have 20 artists running across the city to doorsteps all across the city, delivering their artists and performances for people of all ages. It'll be brilliant. It'll be fantastic. All right. And how is the, the festival shaping up? I know it's like, like, like it's a different festival. It's not obviously being COVID compliant and all of that. How is it shaping, shaping up? Yeah, really well. Um, we, we have uh, different sections of our programme. Some of it's available online. Uh, so again, you know, along with the archives, people can experience it at home, you know, on their screens, through their laptops. We have some amazing premieres happening. Some of them performed live from the Everyman stage, like the Saviour uh, Landmark Productions. Um, we also have a number of outdoor events happening as well uh, down by the port. 
end up at Elizabeth Fort too for people to book and there'll be visual art. The whole city will become a gallery as well. There'll be visual art to experience all across the city in installations. So it's, um, yeah, it's getting very exciting now. As you say, we're, we're starting on Monday and uh, everything will be kicking off then. Loads for people to experience. And did I hear about a silent disco? Yes. Uh, so at the Port of Cork, um, we have an event called Birdie uh, by Una Carney and Ellen King. Um, and essentially what will happen there is it, it will be an event that uses silent disco headphones. So you'll turn up at the port, um, you'll put on your headphones and then you'll experience an event that will be uh, both music, uh, spoken words and dancing will most certainly be encouraged as well. Sounds like the best of fun. All right. It all, and the Cork Midsummer Festival website is corkmidsummerfestival.com, isn't it? That's it. All right, yeah, listen. Corkmidsummer.com. And all the information is there. Lorraine May, Director of the Cork Midsummer Festival. Thank you. That's a, uh, That's got to be the best idea that I've heard in a long time. So someone like Magellan Culler or John Spillane or the Circus Act are one of 20 Cork artists of incredibly high quality. And we've got quality that you could... like. We've got global quality in Cork. So you go on the website to corkmidsummer.com and you look for arts gifts. And on the Friday and Saturday of the 18th and 19th of June, you can book someone to come to your front door. You don't know who it is until you open the door. I think it's the best bit. But like this could be outside your front door on a sunny Saturday morning in the middle of June. I mean, you can just imagine this. Like. What do the neighbours say? Do you like your man? Do you remember this fella in Italy? Very, at the very, very start of the pandemic when Italy was locked down, I kept this little piece of audio because when we write the history of COVID-19, this will be the bit of audio that just... This is the fella stood in his balcony in Italy. Out to the night here and they are locked down. Terry's waving the flag. Keep over in there. Yep. So, capturing the spirit of the summer, get onto them. And by the way, they're at, they're in, like, where are they available, right? Blackpool, the Glen, Knocknahini, Sunday's Well, Belvahan, the Lock, Mahan, Balancholic, Montanati, Mayfield, Blarney, Balentemple, Blackrock, Douglas, and Lachine. So, just in case you start going on about north side and south side, you're all sorted. Because they will. Is that available for the north side, Pete? Yes, it is. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. John is uh, in Yall. He, he lives on the beach or near the beach in Yall. And in the 2015 eclipse, he remembers it well. It got really dark and really cold and all the birds disappeared. It was scary, but it was brilliant. And if you are around any part of the city and county tomorrow and you notice anything strange, 
we'd love to hear from you. There, now, the eclipse won't be as deep or as dark as the one in 2015, as David Moore was telling us. But thank you to John Flannery, who posted a little table for us on Twitter. The peak of the eclipse will be at 11.03 here in Cork, and we reckon that it'll be about 28% of the sun will be covered so whatever happens, do, do, do let us know if you see or spot anything strange. 1850-715-996. We started this morning by wishing the best of luck to everybody sitting. They're leaving certain, indeed. Uh, they'll be finished the first paper probably in the next half an hour or so. Um, and one of the young people doing it is Connor Cody. And his dad, Cahill, was on with me in the early part of the year when... We were back in lockdown and things were looking very bleak and we didn't know what would happen with the uh, exams for a second year in a row. And uh, now we have the the hybrid system, as it were. And I think Connor is doing his full written exams, isn't he, Cahill? Good morning to you. Yes, good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me back on. As much as it's grey outside, it's definitely the sun is shining. Um, we've got to a place where it's just over half an hour now, I'd say, before Connor finishes his first exam. And yes, he's taken the hybrid. Um, I think after we last spoke, uh, there's still a decision hadn't been fully made as to what these uh, Leaving Cert students of 2021 were going to actually be doing. Uh, of course, that came soon afterwards. They got back into school, which is really, really good. Um, we've Myself and Connor, I suppose, and my wife, we had a little bit of a fractured relationship in the last while because... I wanted the best for Connor. Connor thought I was just being a pain in the proverbial. Mm-hmm. Uh, only ever wanted the best for him. And uh, we've got to a place now where in the last 10 days since they've actually broke from school, we've let him do his own piece. It's been, it's been calm. And this morning it was a nice, uh, relaxed little drive into school to get him to do his uh, first leaving sort of paper. At the time we, we spoke last, Carl, you were very displeased with the handling of it by Minister Norma Foley and, and others. Did what they came up with in the end satisfy you? It has, it has, because, you know, I think with the not knowing for so long, people just, we were just, you know, out there not knowing what was the future of our kids, you know, what was going to happen. And the kids were seeing that too. But what they've come up with is actually very good. And with regards to what Connor is actually doing, he now has the chance of, if things go wrong on the day, hopefully they won't, He's always got the fallback of what is now the accredited grades, and which is with the SEC at the moment, which is always good. So if he has an off day during the leaving certificate piece itself, um, he can always go back. But uh, no, it did, it did please us, and I'm sure it pleased an awful lot of other parents and students alike for what actually was the end result mm. and what will be the end results when it comes to the end of the exam phase of this month. So clear something up for you now, because I'm, I'm sure I have either read it or been told it, but it may take head, I can't get into it. Does he have, say for English now, does he already have a grade predicted or has he seen that yet before he sits down to do his written exam? So, no, he hasn't seen this. Now, I know uh, some teachers have sort of, they haven't given them results. They've just, you know, given a heads up to sort of say, you know, you've done okay, you've done all right or anything. But he hasn't had any grades and he will not get any grade of the predicted results. So at the end of the whole process, when, and I know it's delayed this year, I think it's the 3rd of September as opposed to the 17th of August, when the results come out, Depending on what he has got, if he has done, let's say, for example, better in the accredited grade than the leaving certificate, he will be given the better grade. At the end result, when he gets the final piece of paper, he will not know which one he has done better in, apart Mm. from him knowing himself. 
That's a very fair system, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. You know, and I think it takes, it has taken an awful lot of pressure off the kids because, you know, it has been the whole leaving cert of 2021. And we had a giggle this morning in the car going in, PJ. And it was a case of when your kids or your grandkids, they'd be saying, Granddad, can you tell me about the leaving of 2021? You know, he would be talking about it. Again, I think, as far as I know, I haven't delved into it, but I believe Ireland is the only country in the world that actually has this dual system in place. Mm. And imagine that they had just gone ahead with the written exam as opposed to the predicted grades. Why would that not have been a less... So I think, you know, when when it came out about the predicted grades, they were able to do sort of assessments. There was, I think, once they went back into school, there was a cut-off of three assessments that they had to do prior to them actually finishing their uh, full year. Now, I know Connor had still been doing part of subjects uh, right up to the very end. They hadn't completed some of the curriculums. Now, I know they've adjusted the exams in the Leaving Cert to make it fairer as well. But also, for those people that have actually had a very, very disrupted one, which most of them have over the two years, being able to sit down and get an assessment, which was nearly like like a pre, because they had no mocks. So at least it was a pre. They were able to see themselves where they were and to get a little bit of feedback from the teachers sort of brought their stress levels down a bit before they actually went in to do the real thing. Gotcha, gotcha. So they've missed out on all this between fifth and sixth year. They've lost nearly six months or not more than six oh, months of actual then, yeah. in-person education. So exactly. the, the, the hybrid scheme, as it were, is, is easily the fairest. So you will never know whether it was your written grade or your... Uh, assessed grade that you get but when you get your leaving cert you have two chances to get the best out of yourself exactly so if as i said if you have a bad day now the s the the accredited grades are already gone so if you have a bad day during your uh, leaving cert which is maybe a little bit more pressure on them because they know it's a state exam and it's a little bit more formal whereas the uh, accredited grades were more of an assessment focused thing where they're more relaxed in their classes and stuff like that um, they probably will get the better of the two. So, they, you know, it's going to be fairer, much okay. fairer. Yeah, we, we do think that you're right about that too. We, the only country that's done this, and it does seem like a system that most people are pleased with. Carl, our best of luck to him. What does he want to do? I say he was uh, looking at pharmaceutical engineering. He's uh, recently looked at a CAO. He's put uh, mechanical engineering in at the back end of it, but he's still looking at pharmaceutical engineering. That's a lot of points needed for that. Yeah, it is indeed, PJ. All right. Well, listen, best of luck to him and to the whole family because it's been a tough few months. And uh, best of luck to Cahal as he, or to Connor rather, as he sits his leaving cert. That, uh, that's a great explanation. Uh, and thank you for that, for, for a parent in the thick of it now. So the, they haven't got the grades yet of the assessment but when the when it comes to the crunch they will get the better of the two marks they will get the better of the, the assessment or the written exam that's of course if they chose to do uh, the written exam 1850 715 996 can we just talk the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork cream. One thing we've always tried to do here since day one of the pandemic, when everything was closed down, the pubs were closed, the venues were closed, the musicians were sent home and started playing in their kitchens and playing in their bedrooms and just lost out on so much work and so much creativity and so much entertainment time. We followed their case as best we can and here's hoping that they'll be able to take up their guitars in anger one time soon and it won't be 
won't be too long. We we sincerely hope it won't be too long before they can go back on the road with their music and indeed with the big wedding bands. Uh, one of them being, of course, the great Pat Fitz. But I love this idea. Like the the, the band will be back, Pat. But this van, this fantastic-looking van, the 1987 Chevy, that's that's here to stay now, isn't it? Good morning. Hey, Jamie, old flower. How are How you, are fella? You? you all right? I'm fantastic. When it's was the last time you picked up a microphone, Pat? Oh, it's been a while. Well, besides the hairbrush in the shower... <laughs> uh, it's been a while but um, um, hopefully back soon PJ there's light at the end of the tunnel just hopefully a bit sooner as soon as they lift those guidelines yeah we'll be uh, uh, can't, can't wait to get going like every other musician but the Chevy talk to me about the Chevy well uh, basically over lockdown I, I I found this three and a half ton 5.7 litre Chevy and I stuck a photo boot in it so um, when yourself and the missus the Queen Bee uh, renew the vows I'll pick you up I'll bring you to your venue and bit of champagne, a bit of crack, and send you in to get married. And when you come back out then, I'll have it transformed into a photo booth for all your guests. And we'll have loads of fun and frolics. Now, it's a gorgeous looking thing. These Chevys, they're, a, they're an American yoke, but you picked it up in Derry, did you? I did. Myself and Ernest Cantlin of uh, Sober Lane Electric fame, fame uh, took a trip up to uh, Derry, bought it, not knowing whether it would make it back down. Um, but we <laughs> made it to Belfast, stayed the night there and drove down the next day and it flew down. I and, shudder um, to think how much it costs in petrol to bring it down. No, I could tell you what I just say. It's not miles per gallon, PJ. It's miles per miles. Yeah. And it's certainly delivered. And yeah, it was it was expensive, all right. But um, it, it's just amazing. And my missus wasn't too happy with me when I bought it, but hopefully... This will vindicate me as well. Yeah. Now you call it you call it happy times. You've got a top of the range camera, computer, printer, big touch screen, all built into the interior, and you're you're booked solid. I think. Yeah, yeah, they're flying in now as well. Thanks to that Echo and, or the Arts Bill and the Echo as well yesterday, and lovely people like yourself giving it a plug. The bookings are flying in, which is awesome because. Um, uh, I want to uh, just get it up running, and I want to be busy again. You know, and it's. It's, I think it's just such a cool idea, you know. It, yeah. it's, there's none in the, in the Republic at the moment. I robbed it from guys in the UK. They were putting them into London taxis. I said, we'll do one better and get the biggest, most outrageous thing ever. I saw, I saw a piece, actually, about one in a London taxi. Now, if you don't give a plug to your dad and your brother for all the work they did, you'll be in trouble. Well, they did all the work, PJ. I just uh, sit and talk to people on the radio, and that's my job done. So, yeah, my dad, Michael, is going to be driving it. And my brother, Kyle, is the mechanical mastermind. But luckily, I, we're so lucky. It was in great nick, so we just gave it a good service. Obviously, the, um, we touched it up and, and made it look pristine. Like, But uh, mechanically, she's amazing for a, for a 30-plus-year-old uh, vehicle, you know? All right. Well, and, listen, uh, a man like yourself with a wedding band of its quality and standard, this can only be another huge project from, from Pat Fitz. And it's, it's called Happy Times, and you'll find it on... It's its own website, even. And Absolutely. Happy times that I... And uh, thanks for those kind words, PJ. It's much appreciated. And, and t- next time you're doing an outside broca- broadcast, no, 96, we'll brand it as well and we'll pick you up. And make make a studio out of it for me, would you? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's got its own generator and everything. Ah, so. Listen, we're laughing. And a DJ, a DJ kit inside it, I think, isn't it? Absolutely. Should we bring back your show, the 80s show? Ah, now we're talking, Fitzy. Listen, talk to you. I, can't, I can't wait to get to a gig soon. I'm itching to get to some music. And I, and I hope you're one of the... 
of the first that I see. Pat, cheers, man. You're a gent. Thanks, Take PJ. Care. Cheers. The great Pat Fitz. Um, uh, Terry, uh, when they start doing music around the place again, get to see this fella. There is nothing he can't perform. There's a few gems in Cork. We have a long, long list of gems in Cork, but Pat Fitz is definitely one of them. Actually, good friends of mine, uh, the Black Donnellys from Dublin, based in, in Las Vegas. Didn't they go and win an Emmy the other night? I'll tell you more about that uh, maybe later in, in the week. They won an Emmy Award. Bunch of lads that I've had on this show, lunatics, absolute loon balls, went and won themselves an Emmy Award the other night for a documentary. But just said I'd throw that in at the end of the programme. And before I go, Mary Jane had the best comment of all today on education, who's got one and who doesn't. And, you know, who's your hero that doesn't really have the best of education? She came up with this one. I love it. Um, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thank you, Mary Jane. That's it. The program edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We shall see you tomorrow just after nine. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Corks 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream.